What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the College Underdogs Podcast. I am your host, Trey Smith. And today I want to look at some of uh, the latest news, at least reports, I should say, not really news, but reports uh, in regards to the Tulane <clears throat> coaching search. Couple of interesting names that I've seen this morning. And then I want to also revisit what I began touched on what I began to touch on at the end of yesterday's show maybe open that conversation up a little bit more as it pertains to building a program at the G5 level right like how do you do that in the landscape of NIL and transfer portal and there's a couple different I mentioned some things yesterday just kind of on a whim at the end of the show and there's a couple things I want to Talk about it again today, get your thoughts, and then we'll keep it going. But first things first, well, first things first, actually, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment at the end, share it with a friend. And if you're listening on one of the streaming platforms, please, please, please leave a five-star rating, leave a positive review. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, as of, as far as Tulane goes, let's, let's open that up. So, Look, I don't have a subscription to this site, but according to NOLA.com, so I was only able to catch the first part of the read. I don't have the full article. And if you're a Tulane fan that happens to be watching this, you may have even some more info as it pertains to this particular coaching search. But two names that apparently are interviewing are Jeff Munkin and Troy Calhoun. That's Army and Air Force's head coaches. Right now in the Twitter sphere, Twitter slash X, there's a lot of the rumor smoke around Troy Calhoun. Some of the different Tulane accounts that I follow are putting out there. Uh, Troy Calhoun is like, this isn't official. This isn't anything that's, that, 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 that is being officially reported as, oh, this is the guy Tulane zeroing in on. It's just a couple of Tulane blogs have, Mention that, and then of course the NOLA.com, the 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 newspaper affiliate of this of the, uh, the the local newspaper digital affiliate or digital publication, I should say, um, did report that sources say interviews of Jeff Munkin and Troy Calhoun. So this is interesting to me because I did not expect Tulane to go the service academy direction. Now, we'll talk about both coaches a little bit because I don't think this necessarily means, oh, Tulane is looking to go to the triple option, right? The under center, old school, double wing, triple option like the service academies are well known for. I mean, even if you look at Army right now, they've completely changed their particular offense. But here's why this surprises me is because both of these coaches as far as their age and just their overall profile, the mold of, of who they are, remind me a lot of Willie Fritz when he first got the job at Tulane. Now, obviously, the biggest difference is I think Fritz, where did he, was he Georgia Southern? I just went blank. Hold on, let me look this up. Because I know, obviously, Sam Houston State, but I think he was at, yeah, he was at Georgia Southern before Tulane, Georgia Southern for two years. So it, I think what surprises me is that 
it's almost like both of these guys, both Calhoun and Munkin, assuming these are two prime candidates for this job, are very much in the same mold as what Willie Fritz was when he got the job. The reason why that surprises me is because the Tulane football program is light years ahead now of where they were when Fritz got the job. So for me, I thought they would go after someone. Maybe it's a young up-and-comer. Maybe not. Maybe the thought process is if we go get one of these mid-50s, long history of coaching, current sitting head coaches, currently at a service academy, we can get someone that we can bring in and keep for 8 to 10 years, similar to what happened with Willie Fritz. I also feel like Tulane is an attractive enough job right now to go get that next up-and-coming coach that's going to come in and help take the program and push it to the next level. Not saying that Calhoun or Munkin couldn't be that guy. It just, I don't know, it's, it, 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 it just surprises me. Again, assuming that these reports are accurate. So if you are a Tulane fan or a Tulane person, like what are your thoughts on the, the rumors and reports that these two guys are interviewing and in some cases depending on which blog you read that a guy like Calhoun could be at the top of the list but looking deeper into the guys right you got a guy like Troy Calhoun who um, you know he's not just a service academy coach and what I mean by that is obviously anytime you're hiring from the service academy you you sometimes can assume Okay, they're going to bring this triple option offense. And maybe that's what maybe that's what some of the decision makers at Tulane are wanting. Maybe they figure, hey, if we get a guy like that that can run this unique, different offense, it'll be someone that we won't have to worry about looking to go power five because I don't know if another power five will will bring someone like that in, you know, since Georgia Tech did it with Paul Johnson. But I think if you look at Troy Calhoun, I mean, he's got NFL in his background. Uh, he is a proven winner. Now, he has been at Air Force for a very long time, multiple 10-win seasons. Obviously, this year was in the top 25 for a good bulk of the season, and then down the final stretch, some things got away from him. But I'm curious because prior to that, he was with the Texans, he was with the Broncos, even at Wake Forest. Um, uh, they, they didn't run a option, triple option type offense. So I'm just curious, what would he bring to Tulane? What would someone like Troy Calhoun, who's been coaching essentially the same style of offense for 15, 16 years now, what would he do at Tulane? You know, and, and would he overturn the staff? Would he bring in his own guys as most coaches do? Or would he come in, see what's already there? Because again, it's a very successful program. Things they're, they're doing a lot of things right. So how much would he look to keep the same? How much would he look to change? And then would, would, would we see a shift in identity for the Tulane football program? That's kind of what I'm wondering as it pertains to Calhoun. Cause I mean, Calhoun is a, I mean, he is an Air Force guy, played there, GA'd there, was an assistant there, and then he had, I don't know, I guess a, a decade stint where he was at another college and then a little time in the NFL before um, taking over as head coach at Air Force. And so curious to know what everyone's thoughts are on Troy Calhoun taking over at Tulane, 
how that might change the identity of the program. Would it change the identity of the program? Or would he come in and just, I don't know, be, be more of a, a CEO type, right? Uh, just a, a solid head coach that hires good staff and leads, motivates the team, but systematically and schematically doesn't necessarily mean he's going to bring the same things that he was doing at Air Force. And that also leads to a question. How effective do you think that style of football would be at Tulane? And would that be a good long-term investment? Uh, next, obviously, got Jeff Munkin. Very similar. Similar age. Similar mold. Um, he spent time at Georgia Southern as well as the head coach. Um, he's a Paul Johnson guy. That's where he got most of his, his time as an assistant, or at least, um, shouldn't say most of his time, but he spent quite a bit of years with Paul Johnson. I mean, going back to his days at Georgia Southern, again, born and bred, triple option type coach. This year brought in a new coordinator, and this particular coordinator, we all saw it. It looked like poetry in motion against UTSA this year, their, their new style offense, where it's a lot of the same scheme up front. It's just out of a different formations that it's more out of a spread set but then they also run a lot of heavy where they do a lot of like you know quarterback follow type plays or wildcat type plays but a lot of their options and trap option and things that you see in your typical army triple option offense they still run a lot of that it's just out of a more modernized look it's more out of a spread set with some other unique wrinkles that are in there in fact What's interesting about the Army offense this season, and I said this earlier in the year, which makes this even more ironic, is the fact that I was comparing Army's offense to uh, Liberty, what Chadwell, and mainly what Chadwell did at Coastal Carolina, because at that point in the season, I hadn't really seen what he was doing at Liberty, and then compared it to what Willie Fritz did at Sam Houston State. Now, I didn't really follow Fritz, during his time at Georgia Southern, and I'm not 100% certain what he was doing in his early days at Tulane. Obviously, now the Tulane we have, the level of talent that they have, um, I'm not saying you don't still see some of those wrinkles in what they do offensively, but it's a little bit more of a modern spread offense that they run, and they've been running it very effectively. However, in the early Fritz days, at least, I shouldn't say the early Fritz days, but the Sam Houston State Fritz, I mean, it was like a triple, full-blown triple option offense out of a lot of different pistol and spread sets. Very unique, very exciting, very fun to watch. And so could that be what Tulane's looking to do, right? Jeff Munkin comes in, brings in his OC, and they instill that type of philosophy with the caliber of athletes and talent that you can get at Tulane. I don't know. Um... And it just makes me wonder, as I was talking yesterday with the way the landscape is shifting in college football, with the potential new subdivision being added to Division I football, and we continue to see this, this gap widen between the haves and the have-nots, and it's going to get more and more difficult for, for the, the group of five to, to retain coaches, I believe, long-term, um, and, and players, and you know, obviously what's going to what that's going to boil down to is the financial investment and the commitment from the administrative uh, teams at the universities. But going after someone like a, a Munkin or a Calhoun, maybe you're thinking, okay, we get someone like this here and, and they'll want to finish their career here. 
And if they have success, we're going to let them do that. Right. Opposed to if we go get a young up and comer, sure, they might give us two or three great seasons, but then they're going to be gone. And so that's where I'm trying to understand what is Tulane looking to do with this next hire? You know, Memphis, they they were in that cycle, too. They brought in uh, Fuente. He rebuilt the program, took him to success, had a 10 win season. First round quarterback. He's gone. Norvell comes in. Norvell exceeds the expectations and success of the guy before him. Norvell was the hottest name on the market for like back-to-back-to-back seasons. And then eventually, I think after year four, he bolted to Florida State. And then they ended up shifting gears a little bit. They got away from that, even though it was working, brought in Silverfield. And even though there's a large portion of the fan base who who is not satisfied with Silverfield's output and what he's accomplished and feel like he he hasn't achieved the expectations that they have, he's been a solid hire, right? I I mean, a solid hire. And uh, I mean, I think, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure he's got an opportunity, a, a chance at 10 wins this year, okay? With his only losses being SMU, no, SMU, yeah, SMU, Tulane, Mizzou. Yeah, because they're nine and three, I believe, right? Which for some people, if, if you're not competing for the conference championship at Memphis at this point, they, they're, you know, and I, I have my thoughts on that. I don't want to rabbit trail into it, but bottom line is, is Silverfield, he's, he's there. And I, I, I imagine he'll be there for as long as, as Memphis will have him. And so maybe that's the thinking now with Tulane is let's, let's go find another Fritz who we can have for seven, eight, maybe 10 years, as long as they're successful, we'll give them, you know, we'll, we'll give them what we think they need to be successful and we'll let them build their program. Cause you know, Fritz really turned a corner last year. I mean, it isn't like he was just been knocking things out of the park. Now the program he inherited <laughs> much different in 2016 than the program, whoever they hire will be inheriting here in 2023 or technically 2024. But you know, up until last year, I mean, his best season was seven wins. And he had one, two, three, four, five, six seasons with only two of those being winning seasons. So is that the direction it's going? It seems like Tulane's at the point right now from a football perspective where they could really go find someone to, to take them and sustain them into that next level. That they're on the, the they're essentially breaking into now. But I don't know. So we'll see. So, uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts on the Tulane coaching search, especially if you're a Tulane fan. And if you're not a Tulane fan, who do you think would be a best fit there? I mean, we all follow the coaching carousel. And if you're a fan within the conference, you're going to be curious to know who do they hire because that ultimately will impact your team as it pertains to that matchup. So let me know. So uh, what was – did I get all – yeah, fits the mold of Fritz. Both guys are winners. Oh, and here's my question. If they were to go with one of these two guys, is this the best Tulane can do? Or is this what Tulane is willing to do? Answer that question in the comments. And then finally, touch back on this building a G5 program in today's landscape. I got some different feedback. I put the short, I clipped it from yesterday's episode, put it up on YouTube shorts and getting some some feedback and, some of you have talking about, well, you know, 
Still needs to be some old school, high school recruiting and grafted into that. I totally agree. I think ultimately the lifeblood of a program has to be their high school recruiting. The risk you obviously are running at the G5 level is if you you go find one of those under-recruited under gyms, you develop them, and they have a breakout season, they're gone. That NIL money, those bigger programs, they're coming after them. And that's why I suggested yesterday is the best way to build a program in today's landscape Making freshman transfers and grad transfers your, I don't know, like your foundation, and then you bring in the high school recruits to join them. Especially if you're, you're targeting grad transfers who have multiple years of eligibility. And then, of course, as I said yesterday, if you go get freshman transfers, I mean, it's not that they can't transfer again. It's just if they transfer again, they're going to have to sit if they do it before they graduate. So you go get those freshmen that are in the portal, build your roster that way, knowing at least I've got this crop of talent for multiple years, all right? Otherwise, you end up in a situation like UNT, who had three breakout players accomplish something. I don't know the last time it was done in school history, 3,000-yard passer, 1,000-yard rusher, 1,000-yard receiver, and now they're all gone. They're all in the portal. And again, though, from the coaching standpoint, you also have to look at that and go, we also have to capitalize on that level of talent because a big part of what will keep talent in-house is winning. But even if they still leave and you've managed to maximize that talent, your, your wins, your win-loss record reflects that on-field success. You're going to be able to attract high-caliber talent to replace them. Um, but the, I mean, the last thing on this, like for me, it reminds me, and I'm not as connected to it as I once was, but the high school basketball scene in Texas used to be similar to this. It may still be, but like I said, I'm a little bit removed from it. Whereas if you were at a school that wasn't like one of the premier, um, um, high schools in the DFW area, and I'm mainly talking about DFW in Texas, and you happen to get a player come through your program that was like a five-star, four-star, highly recruited talent, you could almost guarantee that you would have them as a freshman and a sophomore, and then by their junior year, they were either transferring to one of the premier schools in DFW, or they were transferring to, um, you know, like one of those academy schools, like a Finley Prep or something like that. And I remember a program I was a part of, I saw that happen twice. Had a big come through the system, transfer to a, a premier, you know, 6A school on the other side of town. They ended up getting a Division I scholarship. Another young man came through the system, played his freshman, sophomore year, and then transferred to a, an academy in Vegas and, or Nevada, somewhere in Nevada, and ended up Division I scholarship. And so we would talk about, like, how do you, if you're not at one of these premier schools, like, how do you build a competitive program and we used to talk about you have to do it with division two and below athletes players I should say because if you can get a team with multiple d2 and d3 guys well you don't have to worry about any of those kids getting poached by these uh, you know charter schools and academies but then also you you put a core of those guys together and you know put them in a system like that's going to be a team that can compete with that caliber of a team you know, at least as it pertains to the state of Texas and the state tournament and things like that. So 
that's just my thinking is, is okay, so how do you how do you build a G5 program? And I would like to get some thoughts in the comments, some conversation going is what is the proper approach? And then of course, I know location. It de- a lot depends on location as far as what you're able to keep and attract. Um, but yeah, so that's it for today. Let me know your thoughts on Tulane. Let me know your thoughts on building a G5 program in today's landscape and the, in the era of Transfer Portal and NIL. And I'll see you all tomorrow. That's it for me, Trey Smith, College Underdogs. Peace. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.